Today on the Pollinator Podcast, the one thing that you're not doing that's probably screwing up your enterprise sales opportunities. So today on the Pollinator Podcast, a man that I have known for many years, actually one of the, the longest business contacts that I've uh, had. We've known each other since before. Both of us started in our own businesses, and I've been able to, uh, to watch him grow and develop in his own professional life and see the, the skills and the amazing things that he has done. I'm very honored to do so. Mr. Iman Eliason, how are you, sir? I'm great. Glad thank to be you. here, Will. Well, thank you for taking time out. Thank you for uh, for jumping on and, and being able to share some of this knowledge. So, you know, you are a, a, a enterprise technology level sales specialist. Have been doing that for for several years. Uh, tell us a little bit about that that journey and uh, and how you've gotten to to be in this position and kind of some of the things that that you kind of focus on. Yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, well, it all starts with my my background. I studied finance, did an MBA, did an econ undergrad, and that equipped me with some of the technical skills to think critically about consulting and looking at a business from an operations point of view and from uh, a way to improve it. And so entered the, the space of technology sales because it's gonna be relevant for the next few decades at a minimum for sure. Technology is really at the cusp of where everything is getting innovated. And uh, I, I saw it as an opportunity to, to really help people with their needs from a business point of view to expand and get on, bring on new clientele by leveraging technology. And so uh, when it comes to enterprise sales and technology enterprise sales, it's all about taking that consultative approach, understanding what people's needs are by speaking to the right person, identifying what the pains might be, and then based on that, recommending solutions to see if there's a good fit or not. So in, in, in summary, it's all about simply having conversations with people and seeing how you can help them. Well, and I, you know, one of the one of the reasons that I wanted to to, to bring you on, you know, a lot of times our, our audience is going to be like smaller local service area businesses, but a lot of those are B two B, and and though they may be small companies, they're selling to you know larger uh, entities, and and it's it can be a a big shift for for folks mentally uh, going from. Uh, selling to, to smaller companies, maybe you have that direct access to the, the business owner or the, the, the president, and now selling into a, an enterprise where you know, there's really not just one decision maker. You know, a lot of times decisions are, are being handled by uh, you know, committees, or maybe there's multiple levels, or if you do get to that, that CEO, you often get the, the shutdown, and there's different processes that kind of go from that. And in my experience in, in doing that and consulting with companies uh, around that, you know, the, the interesting thing is ultimately when it gets down to it and having those conversations, like you say, there's not a lot of difference. Like at the end of the day, there's still just people that you've got to be able to, to communicate with, but the process tends to be a lot longer. So, you know, a lot of times in, in technology sales, the sales cycle could be you know, months, uh, you know, nine months, 12 months, 18 months, uh, or even longer. So from your perspective, and, and I know you've done work with a, a, a lot of different companies in this, uh, in this kind of space and selling to that level, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see companies uh, making when it comes to, to trying to maybe shorten those sales cycles or, or even just be successful 
selling to the enterprise level? No, great question. Uh, to, to answer that, a, a number of things come to mind, but it's, it's fair to say anyone who's engaged in selling technology is fairly skilled at what they're doing, extremely knowledgeable. That's a given in many cases if you're speaking to a larger company. So when it comes to product knowledge, that's where they're winning. But where there tends to be a gap is in two areas. When you look at it from a sales point of view, perhaps they're a little too wishful thinking in their ability to close a deal without necessarily qualifying all the areas that they need to, to advance the deal properly. So what does that mean? If you're looking at closing a deal and you're meeting with your team, you're doing a, a deal review, a couple of questions can quickly identify whether or not this deal is advancing in the right way. One area where a lot of sales professionals mess up is they make too many assumptions within the deal. And the assumptions can always be resolved by asking questions. So the problem is actually the solution. The problem is not enough questions, not enough targeted questions are being asked. And the solution is to ask those questions. So another can, thing, I'll, yeah, go ahead. Before that though, like I, 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 you know, I love that talking about assumptions and, uh, and I definitely run into to, to that a lot. And, you know, that old uh, saying about uh, what happens when you assume, right. You make an ass of you and me and um, that it, it, there's, so many assumptions that I, I've seen people making. So what, what are some examples of those, those maybe common assumptions uh, or kind of categories of assumptions that, that people are making that they get tripped up on, that they, they need to, to probe deeper in to ask those questions? One, one, com one assumption that comes to mind that is fairly detrimental when it comes to someone's reputation when they're presenting their pipeline and committing deals and saying this is gonna come in is assuming that the deal is won before getting the explicit identification by the decision-making team that that's gonna happen. And so some ways in which that happens is you might go through to the process, do the demo, go through the technical review, get all the approvals there, get tremendous feedback in terms of their appreciation of the technology, how it fits their needs, how their budget is within range, how you're a top contender, the likelihood for it to happen is, is very close. And yet it might end up being that for that month, that deal that you committed, you said would come in, slips to the next month or the next. And although you might've won the deal, your accuracy in forecasting whether or not that would come in when you said it did was weak. And the weakness comes from the apprehension from asking some of those tough questions. And it's really about asking those tough questions that from an outsider's perspective might feel tough, but in reality, they're just practical. And it's all about how you craft the questions in a way that's elegant, well thought out, and in a way that demonstrates your situation and the value that you're trying to provide. Can you give me an think, example of, uh, yeah. of that? Yeah, absolutely. You might have a situation where you're, you're looking to bring in a deal. You're at the end of the month or you're to coming closer towards the end of the month. And 
the, or, the organization told you they're looking to move forward by the end of the month. Now, some things you can actually ask to ensure that that moves forward is really think in terms of what's motivating the team, the people you're in contact with, and what's going to drive through incentive. So it's all about incentives uh, when you're speaking to people. And those incentives might simply mean insight. I can give you a scenario that I personally went through uh, working on closing a, a deal by the end of the month. And what I found to be quite effective is not just verbalizing, but presenting information visually to the other side in a PDF or, or PowerPoint format that articulates something very clearly to their ultimate decision maker so they could decide to move forward. So in that particular scenario, we're looking to close a deal by the end of the month. And because we were uh, working on A, meeting their timelines, which they identified in advance, B, ensuring that we had enough resources available to dedicate to their timelines, we actually had through our internal process had to communicate in order for us to commit these resources that you need by this timeline, it would be ideal to get this done and sealed by the 27th of the month. Well, yeah. we presented that in a format and we articulated it and we highlighted it and we made note of these specific timelines. We made it undeniably clear, sent that over. We ended up getting the PO within 24 hours. And that's yeah, awesome because I think you know, the key thing that I, I take out of that is, you know, you didn't make it about you, right? Like, come on, guys, we really need you to close this by the end of the month. Like you took back to what they had already told you, right? You like their goals, their, you know, their timelines that they said they needed. And now you're just asking, you know, you know, help, help us help you, right? You want to, to hit this, but we need, we need this to happen before that so we can still be on track. Let's get this going. And then it puts it back on what they they already kind of said and committed and set, you know, outside of, of what, you, what you're doing. And you're just stepping up to help them along in that process and kind of being that, you know, almost kind of like being that that coach that's there to, to, to push some people forward, but in pursuit of their own goal. Absolutely. In fact, all deals that you're going to work on closing have to be in the best interest of your client. It can never be about you, can never be about a number you need to hit, because we have to think about the importance of reputation within an industry. It's not just a transaction, it's a transformation that you're looking to have within an organization when you're working with them. And you're just not closing that one deal with a person. They will go on and get promoted and go to different companies, and you want to be able to ensure, to ensure that you are interacting with them as a professional and are in good favor to them so that you can continue to do business with them as you ascend throughout your career, as you develop professionally. And that's why it's, it's important to address the way that you approach deals by working always in the best interest of the client. A common thought that comes about from that is, well then, how can I hit my numbers? How can I achieve these these aggressive goals that I personally set or that my organization is aiming for if I can't put some degree of pressure and communicate it. And the answer really boils down to your business development skills, prospecting, reaching out into the market, articulating your value proposition to as many people 
who are relevant as possible is a, a necessity for any sales professional, for any technology sales professional. And it's, it's often going to be the case where you might have a great quarter, you might be gearing up for a great year, you might have a significant amount of pipeline that you're expecting to close, but the inevitable might happen. And a deal that you expected to come in did not come in. So the question is, how do you address these things? And it's always going to boil down to one answer. It's about outbound calling. And outbound calling is not necessarily just picking up the phone. It's all the sales activities that you do to generate new business and to expand upon your existing business. Yeah. And, you know, I, I take it back to, uh, you know, the analogy we use here so often around the farming and, you know, what a lot of people may not know uh, about you is you have uh, somewhat of a, a background educationally uh, around the, the agriculture industry as well. And so you, you kind of naturally get that in, in our, our conversations in the past, you know, it's, you can set a, a, a goal in terms of what you want to, to yield at the end, right? Like what's that, that harvest going to, to be? But if you only have a few uh, plants in the ground, it's not like you can go and force them to yield more than what they're going to, to, to yield. Like you have to cultivate that. And if you want a bigger yield, then you have to scale the amount of, of uh, you know, the size of the, the crop or the opportunities that you're out there cultivating. And so, you know, a lot of people get stuck in that. I see like they, they have a very narrow mind in terms of the, the market or they get a few, uh, they, they get a few opportunities kind of growing up and then they just bank everything on those instead of continuing to, to open up, to continuing to, to plant those seeds and, and getting other opportunities developing as well. And so at the end of the day, you don't increase your yield at the end by just uh, you know, harping on these one few accounts and being super aggressive. Like, yeah, you might get that one sale, but you're going to mess up those opportunities in the future. It's not going to be sustainable. The sustainable aspect comes from having a lot of opportunities and, and you cultivating and working with each one to, to give the maximum result, right? That's going to be sustainable, like you say, that's going to protect your reputation uh, in the industry as a brand, as, a, as your personal brand, to, to be able to come back to that. And, and that's, the, really the, uh, that's really the sustainable type of model. And all you have to do is open up more opportunities and, and get the skills to be able to manage those to be able to, to really hit the, the yield numbers or those goals at the end of the year or month or quarter or whatever it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you, you've done a lot of work with, uh, with companies as well as kind of like on the, the sales management side. And uh, you know, I know we had conversations about uh, you know, training and working with, with sales teams too. And I've, I've run into to this issue with companies and um, one, one thing in particular that I wanted to, to kind of get your perspective on is, and especially around, around technology, like skilled salespeople in the technology industry are not a, you know, they're not a commodity. They're not a cheap thing that you can just go and post something on Indeed and, you know, hire somebody for a $30,000 base salary and, and uh, you know, expect any kind of great results. But I've also seen the, the problem where people go in and they invest heavily into quote unquote skilled salespeople and then they didn't generate the kinds of results that they they were expecting and you know 
sometimes that can be bad hires, but uh, you know, a lot of times it comes from the internal processes that are already there and having unrealistic expectations. So from your experience and kind of seeing that, what would you tell that, that business owner that, that's trying to expand, trying to, to maybe build, bring on some more uh, skilled people or maybe develop their own people internally to be able to do that? Like what, what are realistic expectations? How do you, you set those and, and what do you need to make sure is solid internally before you bring on people with just an expectation that they're going to start producing immediately? Great question. So to set up the explanation, one thing that's important to be aware of is the sales style of the person that you're looking to hire. And it's important during the hiring process to establish a clear understanding of what their approach, what their standards are, and what technologies they're familiar with. That'll give a good sense and understanding of the playing field. So there's a lot that can be done in advance to assess someone's ability to do the day-to-day -day work. What we're seeing more often is uh, more role-playing scenarios in the interview process or active um, uh, simulations of what work would look like with candidates to see if they can actually perform the tasks and save that time from the, the organization's perspective. At the same time, there's a component of knowing what technologies to use that are gonna be effective and that promote the sales professionals to do what their most valuable asset is, which is prospect deals, negotiate deals, and close deals. And so, although there's so much technology that's out there that is definitely effective in what it does, it can create, if not executed properly, a sense of technology fatigue for the sales reps. Yeah. And that's why you've seen this growing section of sales departments uh, become more established, which deals with sales enablement. And it's not necessarily just around training and product knowledge. It's really around creating more streamlined processes that fit within uh, a system for sales reps to effectively do their job at scale. And, and so to answer your question, it's, it's really about organizations being wary of how to constantly optimize the process and the systems by tempering the technology with the way that sales professionals work and within the way that their culture already is. There's tons of opportunity for existing successful sales departments to reach newer heights if they make a couple tweaks in their technologies that are gonna allow them, their, their sales force to have more conversations a day, to more easily develop proposals, to more quickly close deals, and ultimately to more effectively drive top line revenue. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes really down to, you know, understanding what you're actually hiring these people to do, right? And, you know, sales has become this very, uh, kind of a complex process in a lot of, of industries and definitely going to, to things. So I, I, you know, I love what you're saying there about, you know, sales enablement, or some people might call it sales support, having, you know, having those, those other folks that all those things that you, you classically hear 
like sales guys complain about like, oh, you know, the CRM's cumbersome or it's a, it's a pain in the butt or, you know, for some people it might be, you know, I know a lot of people have uh, like appointment setters or, or other things in terms of these processes. Like at the end of the day, if you're hiring a sales rep to, to be out and like I say, to, to prospect, to have those presentation skills, to be able to, to negotiate and be able to close deals, uh, deals, make sure you understand that like that's a very particular skill set. You're not hiring a, a sales rep to come in and necessarily design the entire sales strategy or to program your CRM or to, to, to be able to develop all those kinds of processes. At the end of the day, that's not necessarily their skill set. And it's taking away time, which is like the most valuable resource for them to be able to go out and, and actually do the key things and utilize the key skills that you were hiring uh, them for in the first place. And, and to your point of your know, role playing, that's something that um, you know I've seen work really well in uh, with, even with some of my clients, and we put it into to, uh, into place in like the last round of of hiring. And you know, it's not an end all be all, but you know, I remember we got down to three uh, kind of three finalist candidates, and we ended up hiring two of them um, because one of them did so well in the um, Kind of in the in that that demo phase, but the guy that on paper and through his original interview, he seemed like he was like the ideal candidate. You know, had the connections, had the experience, and like we just gave him basic stuff. So like, all right, so you know, kind of kind of show us what an opening call might look like based on this information that we've gotten. You know, if there's any other information that you want, let us know. Some of the other guys, you know, they were asking questions. I got in there, and when those kind of uh, presentations in their interview, their final interview was supposed to be like this 15 minute, uh, you know, introductory phone call. Like that guy was horrible. Like, like couldn't, couldn't sell me on my own product. Right. And, um, and the, the other ones really kind of stepped up and shine. So they're the ones who, who got the shot. And one of those ended up being, um, you know, it was actually like the second, the second guy ranking in there ended up being the, the all-star because he was the one that would consistently put in the, the, the work and follow the process and follow up, follow through and uh, whatnot. That, that's a, a different issue altogether. But, you know, that's a, you know, these kind of practical interviews, like you're saying, like you, you, you can't just go off of what's on paper. Like at the end of the day, you've got to see the skill in action. So one thing that we, we do each week, you know, I got on my, my board back here, ask everybody to, to put something you know, that's kind of key to their, their philosophy or, you know, way, a, a real solid tip for folks. And so you said, you know, schedule a call and every call that you, you make. So tell me about, tell me about that. Like that's, that's like your core piece of advice for, for folks in, in sales, especially enterprise sales. What does that mean? Well, it's a, it's a great question that, that you ask. And, and the reason why is because no matter what kind of sales process you're going through, whether you're initiating the discovery phase of a new potential client, whether you're calling an existing client, the purpose of that call in some sense should be to schedule the other call. And ideally you wanna schedule it with them during that call. Pull up your calendar, get them to agree to a time, send the calendar invite pretty immediately and just lock it in. Many times conversations can fizzle out because there was no clear next step. And so scheduling a call is the next step. If you initiated a conversation and uh, they want some more information, schedule a call. If they agree to receive a proposal, 
and look forward to getting it from you. Great, schedule a call to review their proposal one-on-one -on, -one on a screen share, walk them through everything, annotate yeah. it, send them the annotated um, proposal so that they could share it with, their, with the rest of their team. If you close the deal and call them to congratulate, great, schedule a call to really review what the success looks like now that they've been using your solution or working with you. Kind of introduction to onboarding as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And ultimately, the view for every client should be to turn them into a case study, to turn them into a referral. And the only way to do that is to continue the dialogue. And therefore, you want to schedule a call. Awesome. I think that is such, such solid advice. Uh, I know we're, we're kind of coming up on uh, the, the time here. So, uh, Iman, what if, if somebody wanted to, to get in, in touch with you and, you know, have you kind of look at their processes or kind of get some insight or from uh, all of your experience, what's the best way to, uh, to get in touch with you? Well, well first off, uh, well, it's been a pleasure connecting with you today. Um, glad to be on your podcast. Uh, to, to answer the question is very simple. Just connect with me on LinkedIn and we can start a conversation. All right. So for, for the folks that are just listening in audio, we'll have it in the show notes and everything else, but uh, spell your name for them because it might be a little difficult. Sure. So it's, uh, I'll, I'll give the, um, the military equivalents if I recall them correctly. So it's Alpha Yankee, Michael Alpha November. That's the first name. Surname is Echo Lima Yankee Alpha Sierra India November. You can find me on LinkedIn there. Very impressive. Very impressive. So, Iman, thank you so much for, for being here, sharing your insights and, uh, and knowledge. And I hope everybody can take what you've learned from today's Pollinator podcast and go get your hands dirty with it. Be well.